uh, one of the pastors here. Um, as we start the sermon this morning, if, if, if we haven't figured it out already, it's, it's time for the kids to be heading out to, uh, to Sunday school, so they're going to follow uh, Jared, aka the Pied Piper, um, out, to, out to the room. Um, here's, here's, a, here's a question to get our, our minds whizzing this morning. Does your life have purpose? I mean, I mean that in the big sense, not like today I have a purpose, I'm going to go to Ikea after church and I'm going to buy a new deck of shells. No, does your life have, have big purpose? Does your life have, have meaning? Does life have meaning? Uh, it's an important question that surely uh, we all have to kind of ask ourselves regularly, right? Um, the ancient Greek philosopher Socrates said it well, and I like to quote him because it makes me sound like I'm smarter than I am. Uh, he said... The unexamined life is not worth living. Actually, what he said was probably in ancient Greek, but they've translated it into English. And, he, and they think he said something along the lines of, the unexamined life is not worth living. You see, unfortunately, there is a, uh, a tendency amongst people today to, uh, instead of seeking to answer that question with their life, instead we, uh, we replace consideration of the greater, greater purpose of existence with, with petty distractions. We, we do things to kind of... To kind of silence that question in our lives. And we all know the kind of dark end that that kind of life leads to. And in case, um, in case you can't sort of bring that to mind, let me, let me show you. Um, something's gone horribly wrong with the computer. And there goes my gag joke. Yeah, that's okay. Oh, there we are. Good. The midlife crisis. This could be you. <laughs> you know, the, the midlife crisis, that's, it's that stage in life where 40 to 50 somethings take up CrossFit and open a cafe or, or perhaps sell their house or remortgage their house so that they can buy uh, a Harley Davidson. What is it that's going to rescue us from a fate such as this? I have some good news for you this morning. Uh, as a church, we've been walking through um, our series of key distinctives central to our church here, hopefully to all churches, right? There's nothing here that's unique to us. Um, it's a big group of ideas uh, laid out clearly in the Bible that we need to figure out how to live out here as this church, as this people in this place, um, to figure out what it means for us to honour the Lord and these things that He has given us. And so we began our series talking about gospel centrality, talking about the idea that the gospel is meant to be the centre of our lives and of our ministries, right? Is, um, the idea that all of faith is about relying, all of life is about relying on God in faith and that that message of God's grace should be the central truth of our lives and the, the most important tool that we have to accomplish His will. Um, today, we get to one of the implications of gospel living, which is mission, uh, gospel-centered mission in particular, or as we call it in our little series, life with purpose. Life with purpose, gospel-centered mission. Mission, it's a bit of a church word, isn't it? It's one that we um, kind of use differently to everyone else. It's an interesting word. It, it comes into the English language from the Latin language, the root, um, the root group wording um, for mission revolves around the idea of sending or being sent to accomplish something. And we see this in various places in English. Um, for example, a missile is an object that I send in your direction in order to accomplish something, right? Usually to either get your attention or remove your existence from existence, right? That's, um, that's what a missile is. A missionary is a sent person. It's a word that came to be identified um, with people who are sent by the church to do ministry cross-culturally or to be um, going to the far corners of the earth. But the word itself has a much broader meaning than just cross-cultural mission. All Christians have a mission. All Christians have a mission. We, we have a job to do. We have been sent into the world to 
accomplish something. Uh, In fact, a better way to say this is that all Christians share in the same mission. It's not as if each of us has this unique mission to accomplish. Ultimately, we have been sent together into the world for the same reason. Um, If you are not yet a Christian, then part of what God is calling you into when He calls you um, to receive His salvation, that He's inviting you into, um, into a new life. And that when you, when you give yourself over to Jesus and He becomes your Lord, your life will cease to be about whatever it was about before. Uh, and it will come to instead be caught up in this higher and this grander purpose of God's mission. Here's some more good news. Our mission isn't vaguely defined. Uh, it's explicit. It's, it's knowable. It gives shape and meaning to our whole lives. We are here for a reason. That's the message this morning. And isn't that encouraging? There is a purpose to our lives. And you can come to understand that purpose through the gospel, through the good news about Jesus, about what he has done and is doing. What is our mission? What shape does the answer to that question take when viewed through the lens of the gospel? What is gospel-centered mission? Uh, We're going to cover a bit of ground this week, so here's a summary of where we'll be heading today for those of you who like to take notes. We're going to learn a few things about what gospel-centered mission is all about. First of all, we're going to learn that God is on a mission. Then we're going to learn that God calls us into His mission. Uh, And then we're going to learn what it means that God equips us for this mission. Uh, So that's our our goal for today. I hope that it's helpful. Why don't we get our Bibles open because we're going to need them. probably so much so that it'll be mildly confusing. <laughs> um, first of all, let's learn what it means that God is on a mission. You see, when we, when we begin to look at the idea of um, mission, Christian mission, the first thing that we learn, uh, when we begin to look at the idea of gospel-centered mission, the very first thing that we learn is that it doesn't start with us, it starts with God. God has a mission. God is on a mission. God has an agenda that He is determined to accomplish in this world. Uh, And we see that most clearly perhaps in Jesus. It's not perhaps, we see this most clearly in Jesus, right? Jesus totally talks about Himself as being sent by the Father to accomplish things. Let's take a look at this in John chapter 6, the Gospel of John chapter 6, that is. Going from verse 38. Jesus speaking, he says, in John 6, 38, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. See, here's the background to that. Ever since the fall, we read about that in the, in the beginning of the Bible, right? Ever since the human race became sinful and rebelled against God, ever since then, God has been slowly revealing His plan to deal with the problem of human sin. Uh, the simple solution would have been to come in judgment and to, do, and to destroy the human race. Uh, and if God had done that, we would not have a leg to stand on. He would be acting in a way that is, in, ju- that is uh, in line with His holiness and His promises and His warnings to us. God could do that. 
But that is not the whole plan of God. Um, The truth is that there is a day coming when God will arrive in this world in judgment. But before that day, He has set about building a people for Himself. Rescuing a people for Himself. Uh, And after that day, He's going to set about restoring the world to its rightful state so that these people who He has redeemed will have a place to live with Him. Since time immemorial... God has been inviting us, humans, broken, imperfect, and sinful, to come to Him in order to receive redemption and mercy and grace, to be spared from His right judgment and instead to be reconciled to the God who made us, to receive new life here and now, rescued from slavery to sin, and to receive eternal life, rescued from death and the coming judgment, right? But a a lot of things kind of need to happen for that mercy of God to come about. The the grace of God needs to be earned. Isn't that a weird thing to say? This is what I mean by that. God is holy and God is good and God is not going to deal with sin by overlooking it. God is going to deal with sin by dealing with sin. Evil judges overlook crimes. It is an inherently unjust thing to do, but in God, grace upon grace, He has dealt with the dilemma by sending His Son. That's that mission word. By giving His Son the mission to come into this world. Jesus says, I am sent by the Father, sent in order to die in our place and for our sins so that we, you and I, might be saved without God compromising on right holiness. As it says in the book of Romans, he did it this way so that God might be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith. This is what Jesus is talking about when he says, the Father has sent me. Jesus understood his earthly existence as having a mission. He was sent to earth as a human by the Father in order to accomplish something, the salvation of sinners and the giving them of life through His death and His resurrection and the redemption of creation for them to to live in. This is the the agenda of God seen in Christ. The mission of Jesus in His life here was to play His part in the mission of His Father who is building a people for Himself and bringing them to Himself to live with them. Do you see what I'm saying here? It's just a small job, right? Um, See, at this point, uh, as I was writing this, I, I thought, okay, cool, I can keep moving, but... Um, I haven't made this point well enough, so we're going we're gonna to sit here for a little while, I think, because this is important. This, this, like, do you understand that this isn't some side project for God, that He's kind of like, okay, I'll stick that one on the to-do list that sits on my screensaver, right? It is right at the center of who He is and what He is on about. This is God's consuming passion. God cares about people. He made us in His image. And He loves the lost. The the lostness of the human race, our separation from God, isn't just some cold mathematical fact that God learnt in class one day. It is a personal pain to Him. It's not a cold and distant concept. He, He loves us deeply and emotionally and consistently. And He wants us not only to know that, but to feel the intensity of that love. And I I hope that you will feel it today. I mean, beginning in Genesis with His cry of, where are you, Adam, in the garden? Ever since then, God has been pursuing lost humanity. God is on a mission. The Bible is the best love story ever told. 
I mean, do we remember Luke chapter 15 that we read last year, church? Three stories in a row that Jesus tells in one sitting, one sermon, which is just three stories trying to convey to us how much God wants the lost to come home. He said, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that has lost until he finds it? If that's what you do, imagine. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, hear this, the word of God, I tell you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. Tell another story. He says, what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she has found it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. And he says, just so I tell you that there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he goes from there to tell us another story, the story of the prodigal son. The story of the father who is extravagantly pursuing his two wayward sons and who will throw away everything in order to be reconciled to them. Remember what we learnt there? That the story doesn't just mean that lost people are the kind of people who are living wild. There's lots of different ways to be estranged from God. And you can do that through reckless living. You can be like the prodigal son. If you have squandered your life in the party scene and denied yourself no earthly pleasure in the pursuit of self, God desires to be reconciled to you. God loves the prodigals. He, He grieves over your state and he burns with love for you in the way that a parent would burn with love over a child who's gone off the rails. Do you understand? This is, what he's, this is what he's telling us. God loves us with the kind of intensity that only a parent can have. I had no idea what that meant, right? And then I became one and it was a moment of like, nah, not that much, right? What he's saying is that that he and heaven with him are ready and willing to explode into joy at your coming home. See, the story also told us that another way to rebel against God is to be a religious hypocrite who says one thing and does another. People like that are just as equally lost. They're not really God's people. They're, They're just pretending. Israel. God's chosen people rebelled against God and he had to punish them by sending them into exile. Listen to how he spoke about that when he delivered the message through his prophet Ezekiel. He says, when a wicked person turns away from the wickedness that he has committed and he does what is just and right, he shall save his life. That's because of the mercy of God. Because he considered and he turned away from all the transgressions that he had committed, he shall surely live, he shall not die. Yet, the house of Israel says, these are the people who are supposed to be God's people, right? The way of the Lord is not just. They weren't down with God showing grace to people. I've earned grace, but that guy, no. O house of Israel, are, are my ways not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? Therefore, I will judge you. 
O house of Israel. Everyone according to his ways, declares the Lord. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. Can you hear the heart of God here? For all different kinds of of lost people. In other places, he talks about it in terms of adultery. He says, I was like a husband to you and you pursued other gods. And that's like being unfaithful to your spouse. That's how personally I take this. Can you hear how personal the lostness of the loss is for God? God is on a mission. You see, the the biggest thing we, we, we see here is just what price God is willing to pay in order to bring the lost home. What, what could convince us more of how serious he is about this? What could be a, a clear demonstration of his heart than what he was willing to lay down? He sent his son to rescue you. He sent his son to die in your place. And that is not something that God does lightly. Is that something that you would do lightly? This is what Jesus said, though, about himself. He said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, and he leaves the sheep and he flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me and just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold and I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock and one shepherd. God is on a mission, can you hear it? He wants people to turn away from their sin and to turn to him to receive a blood-bought grace. He has been pursuing the lost passionately and consistently throughout the ages. Relentlessly, painfully, and at great cost to himself. Because of, because of this, there's one songwriter who called the love of God a reckless, raging fury, and I have never heard a better description than that. Do you realize, even now, that God is pursuing you like this? Even now. Do you dare believe it? Will you hear his call and respond? Has the consistency of his love worn down your barriers yet? Will you turn away from the unfaithfulness of sin and self? And will you come back to the one who made you and has loved you and will love you more than anyone else ever will or can? Will you accept the grace 
that comes only through what Jesus has done. This is not a side note in the story of what God is on about. Look, we're going to come back to this. um, But for now, let's press on and take a look at some other things. God is on a mission. And the next thing that we learn when we look at that mission through the lens of the gospel is that God calls us into that mission. God calls us to share in that mission. Why don't you turn to John chapter 20 with me? Uh, and we'll see what we're talking about. Same book, other end of Jesus' life, right? What's happening in John chapter 20? It comes after the cross, after the resurrection, and before Jesus returns to heaven. And that, that small window of time where the risen Jesus is, is walking around the place and appearing to people, right? He's, he's kind of, hey guys, I'm alive, before he nicks off back to heaven. Uh, and one day he bails up his followers. John chapter 20, verse 19. It says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and he said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Look guys, it's me, I really am the one who was crucified. That's where we get Doubting Thomas, right? first mission reader, India. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the, as the Father has sent me. Even so, I am sending you. And we'll keep going with that soon, so keep a finger there, but we're going to stop there for now. I love this. This is so good. Firstly, the, the disciples are gathered together in hiding. They're afraid. Jesus literally got killed a few days before this conversation takes place. They are in fear for their lives. What is their attitude towards the world at this moment? Hide from it. It's dangerous. The doors are locked. They can't find us in here. This is our safe place. When all of a sudden, Jesus, the resurrected Lord of all creation, rocks up in the room with them, and what does he tell them? As. Remember those as's, what they can mean? In the same way. As I was sent, as I have been sent, so now I am sending you. Can you, can you feel the weight of that? How did the Father send Jesus to pursue the lost and to call him back to God at the cost of his own life? So now I'm sending you. I suspect that in that moment, that is not what the disciples wanted to hear, Right? Sending us out there, the scary place, the dangerous place, the thing that's going to cost us. That's what he says. It turns out that God's plan to pursue the lost is now going to be carried out through us. The burning heart of God for lost humanity has resulted in him sending us. It's kind of like that moment, right, in, in the story of Moses where he gets to the burning bush. Have you read that recently? Go home and read it. It's phenomenal. It's in Exodus. God appears to Moses in the burning bush and he says, I've heard the cries of my people. I've heard the burden of their slavery and the way in which they're being mistreated. I've heard their cries and so I have come down. And Moses is like, yay. And then God says, and so I'm sending you. And Moses is like, nay, right? 
I have a stutter. That's a terrible idea. But we get, we get several chapters of Moses trying to convince God to send someone else. It might seem like a terrible idea, but that is the plan that the God who tends to know better than us has come up with. Can I just say, this is allowed to feel like it's too big? Because it is. I don't know about you, but, um, but I don't feel adequate to represent Jesus completely in the world. We're going to deal with that in a second. But can, can I just dangle this in front of you for a second? Imagine, imagine with me for just, for just one moment that God has a way of dealing with that problem. Imagine if, a way of, if, if God has a way of dealing with the obvious shortcoming of that plan, that, that shortcoming being me and you. If God has a way of dealing with that, let's, let's just assume for a moment that he can. Do you see what this changes about our lives? Whatever my life was on about before, now, my life is about joining with God in his great and glorious and eternal mission. There's a risk involved. There are dangers. But if we succeed, then my life and your life is going to play a part in people who matter to God and were made in his image and are just, so, are just as worthy of his attention as you and me. Then my life and your life is going to result in their being reconciled to God and escaping the punishment of sin and becoming a child of God for eternity. I get to be a part of that story in someone's life. And so do you. I, I don't know what you've been planning to, look, to use your life for, but it, can, it simply cannot be as good as this. There are some other good things to do with your life, but, but which one of them changes someone's eternity? What is more, if my life is about that and God has a way of overcoming the problem and my life is going to be used for that kind of purpose in God's plan, then absolutely everything that I will ever do is now infused with that significance and meaning. Wherever I am, am I, am I in my home? Am I with my friends? Am I with my family? Am I in my workplace? Am I on holidays? Am I talking to my neighbors over the fence? Am I on my knees alone with God? Am I creating art? Am I writing books? Am I eating food? Whatever and whenever. My life is now infused with God's eternal purpose. You do not need to be a vocational pastor in order for this principle to work. Do you hear what I'm saying? Sometimes people make that mistake. I am not the only one who gets this privilege here. And Mike and Marcus as well. You know what I'm saying? Our whole life as Christians is about joining with God in his mission to redeem the world. Everything that you do. I am here on this earth to represent God as his child and his ambassador. What better ambassador could there be than a member of the family? That's pretty great. 
See, I mean, the, ob the obvious question at this point, right, is like, how? How does that work? What do I actually have to do to partner with God on this mission? We aren't going to spend a huge amount of time on that today. That's not our purpose here, but I will, I will definitely give you the short version. Unsurprisingly, we're going we're gonna to partner with God in this mission through the gospel. I join with God in his mission by promoting the truth of the gospel in my words and in my deeds. I need to speak God's gospel invitation to the world. And my life needs to demonstrate the truth of that gospel so that my message is credible. By word and by deed, his people, we represent God. And when either of those things is missing, something has gone horribly wrong. If we live like good people and we're nice to people, but we never let anyone know about the grace of God that would change their eternity, that's not Christian mission. That's something else. Likewise, if we think that talking at people about God whilst failing to love them like Jesus clearly loves them, which means practically and self-sacrificially, then we are no better than a banging gong or a clanging cymbal. Another way of saying that is that if Jesus is sending us into the world, he is sending us to speak and to act like he spoke and acted. In all of the glorious, compassionate, confrontational, generous, offensive, kind, loving, hardworking, humble, faith and worship-filled ways that that could possibly mean. Your life can have this kind of purpose. You can be eternally significant by partnering with God. And so can our church, do you understand, when we do this together. God is on a mission. And God is calling us to join with him in that mission. Now let's come back to the problem. It's too big. I am not a good substitute for Jesus. Good news, I don't need to be a substitute for Jesus. There is a problem and God has a way of overcoming the problem. He says it in that verse that we didn't read at the end of John, John 20, 22. He says, I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've been around here any length of time, you know what he's getting at there. Here's the good news. God equips us for the mission. God equips us for the mission. Let's get, why don't we go to the Great Commission? You've been waiting for me to go there in a sermon about mission. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. They reckon that, pa that passage that we just read in John's Gospel is his version of the same thing. It's a different version of the same conversation. Matthew tells the story this way. The resurrected Jesus is talking to his disciples. These are the last words of his Gospel. His, his version of the story. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. End of book. 
that is like, that's so good. That's a mic drop if, I, if I've ever seen one, right? Have you ever noticed, if you've read this before, I hope you have, and if you haven't, you've read it now. Have you, have you ever noticed that this call to go into the world and make disciples is actually a promise sandwich? And what I mean by that is that the, the command in the middle, the commission in the middle, is actually sandwiched between two promises. Jesus begins with a promise and ends with a promise. Promise number one, what does Jesus tell us about himself? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Is there another kind of authority? Is he missing something? All authority. This is, this is the most all, all that I've ever read. Secondly, and I am with you always to the end of the age. You, you put those two things together and they're quite an encouragement, are they? I think sometimes we focus on the, on the mission and it's important, it really is. But when we do that without these promises, it doesn't make sense. God is on a mission. God calls us into the mission and God equips us for the mission by being with us on the mission. It's not, it's not guys, I have a thing to do, go and do it for me. I paid some staff to take care of it. It's not the way that I do business. It's come with me and join in on what I am doing. As one pastor said for the Christian, every single day is go to work with dad day, right? Jesus is with us right now. The, the triune God has sent the Holy Spirit to be in us so that his presence infuses our being and our doing. The, the call and the promise of God are never to be understood separately or the idea of mission will seem impossible or seem like a chore. No, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes and then you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit comes and he fulfills the promise of Jesus that his power and his authority are with us, with his presence. The invitation of God is to join him in his mission and to have your life consumed by his purposes. And that's an invitation of grace because he's going to be there with you making that work. You, you can be spiritually profound in this world beyond your abilities. You can be effective in ministry in this world beyond your effectiveness because it doesn't depend on you. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm no expert. Uh, we've got some army people here, right? Can you imagine one day that the army sent its soldiers out and said, look, this is the hill that we've got to take. Off you go. Oh, by the way, you're going to have to make your own guns before you get there. I don't, that does not sound like a good plan to me. Maybe one of you will know of some plan like that that worked once and you're going to tell me about it afterwards. That is not how God sends his people. The invitation of God is to join with him in his mission and to have your life consumed by his purposes as an invitation of grace. And when this is working, our whole life is flooded with meaning and purpose. With his power and his presence, this works. It becomes a promise and not a possibility. Do you understand the difference between those two things? 
I really can go to work tomorrow and both the way in which I conduct myself when doing my job and my job itself and the conversations I have with the people I work with are all a part of how God, through his power and his presence, is bringing about his will and inviting the lost to receive his grace. by our gracious words and by our demonstration of the power of His Spirit in the way in which we live our lives, we all get to be a part of this grand agenda of God. If I work in a business, if I am a parent, if I am a health worker, a student, a soldier, a homemaker, a retiree or a reverend, every day is about joining with God and joining with my Father as He accomplishes His mission. And we all get that as a package deal with his grace. Gospel-centered mission. Life with purpose. Eternal purpose. What, what do we say to all of these things? I know what I want to do. I want to spend some time working that through with my Lord. We get to do that together this morning. We're going to do that in, in two ways. Firstly, we're going to do that in the ways that, we, that we're going to continue to do throughout all of this series. The, the, the band are going to come up. They're going to, they're going to lead us in continuing to worship. This is a time to reflect and to, and to pray and to process what you've heard. Maybe it's a time to, to kind of let God get his way in your life if he's poking on something that you, you feel like he needs. Uh, we've set up a few ways that you can do that around the building. We're going to have worship happening here. Um, we've got the, the cross over here and the, and the ability to write notes and stick things on there if you want to lay some things down at the feet of Jesus and remember the, the grace and how the grace came about and to accept some grace. Um, we've got the hope space over here where maybe some of you are sitting there thinking, I just know what this can look like in our church and I, I just need to share that with somebody and you can stick your notes up over there and then while you're there, you can read the, the things that are all over the thing already and just be so encouraged by what God is saying to the people of our church at the moment. Um, if you want someone to talk with and to, and to pray with or to, so someone, you need someone to help you, you can come over here to the, sort of the need space and we'll, we'll help you how we can. We'll pray with you. We'll do it together. But I'm not done. I know I've been going for a while, but this is too important, right? Because there's one more thing that we need to say after a, a message like this, which is that there are some of you here today who are not yet Christians. And I hope that what you are hearing in this message today is the voice of God. I, I hope you're convinced from the word of God, not from me. I hope that you are convinced that God loves you the way that he says that he's loving you. I, I hope you've been able to put those things together and, you, and I believe that right now he is by the presence of his Holy Spirit poking at your heart and calling you to, to come to him in salvation. And that you can accept that right now. Today can be the beginning of you joining with God in that purpose and changing your eternity by His grace. Not because, not because you've earned it, you will never earn it, but because He has loved you and does love you and will love you. And if that's you this morning, if you feel like um, in this room of 80 people that there's a spotlight above your head and your head alone, that God is, is speaking to you in that, like, I know how you feel, I've been there, I, I was that person for a while. I want to invite you today, I want to ask you today to, to listen to God and to accept His grace today. 
And if that's you, I'm, I'm going to stay right here. I'm going to sit down on the stage. And I would love to talk with you and pray with you. That's a terrifying thing to do, to, to, to get up and walk down the front when you know everyone is going to see you, right? Like, that's, that's scary. But I think that, uh, I think it's a good thing to do. I think it's a good thing to do because to follow Jesus in this life means that you need to be visibly, you need to visibly stand with Jesus, right? You, you can't be a secret disciple. Uh, and to do it here in a room of people who are going to be happy for you <laughs> is a lot, a lot, a lot easier than to do it out there. If that's you, I'd love to speak and pray with you this morning. Why don't we pray together now to continue our time? Lord, by your power and through your presence here among us now, we pray that you would fill us and change us so that our heart for the lost is just like your heart for the lost. That we would love people the way in which you love people. That we would love the broken and the faulty and the needy and the ugly and the beautiful in the way that you love them. Lord, move your people with compassion and mercy and care. Not for just some small part of a person, but for the whole person. No matter where they've come from or where they've lived, no matter what their job is, no matter what their race is, love like you love. We pray. And that means me. Lord, whatever thing in me that causes me to think that my comfort is more important than the soul of a human. Destroy it, Lord, by your grace. I want to lay that down at your feet and ask for your mercy, knowing that you give it freely and invite you to change my affections. Lord, flood my heart so that I desire above all other things to love you and to work alongside you.
Lord, would you being glorified in the heart of people as they learn to worship you as their Father who loves them. Would that be the highest desire that I have? I want to see it in my family. I want to see it in my children. I want to see it in my neighbors. I want to see it in the people I meet at the supermarket. my eyes and my heart with that picture of the throne room of heaven where a great multitude from every tribe and tongue and nation will be joined before you and in unity as your people together we will sing your praise and we will love and we will serve you together make my life about that today Lord for those of us who are here today who are not yet yours we pray pray that they would know your love. We pray that they would believe your love. We hope and we pray that they have seen it at work in your people and the way in which we treat them. We pray that you would give them the boldness and the courage to right now stand up and walk to the front of a room. To be known as your disciples. And to accept your grace to accept what your son has done for them, to make them whole and new and alive. Jesus, we pray that in your mighty name.